Ooh, I'm tired, you can tell. Hello, hello. I actually just threw my AirPods in last minute, so I'm just double checking everybody can hear me. Are we good? Are we live? Let me know, let me get some thumbs up if you can hear me. Um, hello, welcome everybody. Thank you for taking the time for joining us today. Today we have another exciting episode of Our Someone Else. Um, every week we have a guest on um, that will speak to us about their property journey. This week I'm very excited about our guest that we have on. We have um, Aisha Afouri from, well, the individual um, which comes from a corporate background, is now doing some amazing things in property. Um, she was da, 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 um, one of the Women of the Future award winners and also management today's 35 under 35. So she's going to be going to be joining us today, talking about her background um, in the corporate space, how that transitioned to property, um, and we're going to get to basically ask her a load of great questions to hopefully add to all of our collective property knowledge. Hello, everybody! CEO cast in the building. Good to hear you. Good to see that you're in here. Um, if you haven't logged in, I've done an interview with him this week. That's going live today, I believe, right now. So if you're not subscribed already, go and subscribe to his YouTube channel and check that out. I think it was a really interesting conversation, really nice guy. So definitely recommend checking that out. Hello from Italy. I saw someone say that. It'll be interesting to know where people are from. I know we've got a very big London core following and the rest of the UK, but it'll be interesting to know where people are actually logging in from whilst we await our guest. Um, feel free as well, if you've got any questions, to use the comment box to put them up and we'll make sure we answer them throughout the course of the conversation. Let me see if I can get on now. But how is everybody doing? How has your weekend been? Did you catch the England game? Where are we all? Um, in the meantime, whilst we wait, I guess I'll give you some updates of what I've been up to. Um, so I've been a little bit quiet, enjoying like a birthday week, um, just reorganizing, restructuring. Like to sometimes take a little bit of time out from the YouTube and the social media just to make sure that I'm focusing on the business as well and making sure that we can keep this pipeline and these deals flowing. So that's what I've been working on. I apologize for the voice a little bit as well. The hay fever has got me in a very, very vicious headlock despite the clarity and the nasal spray. Um, so yeah, we'll get to get some of these questions in. So I've been working, um, I've been working on trying to tap an option agreement for a basement property to try and get um, consent to build an additional flat under an existing freehold that I already own, um, as well as completing the two flats on the lane. I'm going to pop in and do a site visit this week with an update over there. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah, we've got, got quite far actually at the moment with that one. Um, the flat number two is probably 90% done, it's looking good. We went for the two ensuite bedrooms, so like two masters of a guest toilet. So it'll be a good property that could potentially be bought by um, friends or could be bought by siblings, um, particularly with the property prices as they are in London, maybe making that property for the first you know, home more accessible. So that was the kind of idea behind that. Um, but yeah, whilst we wait for uh, Maish to log on, again, feel free to ask me a couple of questions um, about my journey or anything you have sort of this, this currently on your mind about property. And yeah, let's just get 
get cracking. Let's get busy because, you know, time time is money. Money is time. So you got some free time to ask some profit questions right now. Actually, it was also... Um, I was approached by a probably approached by a couple of companies to see if I would raffle a property. Um and I'm I don't know, I guess if I do anything, I like to kind of do it myself. So I've been looking into the intricacies of um how how that works and how that looks, um and you know if it's actually gonna be beneficial. But oh I think we have I think we have our guest. So I think I'm gonna get her on board right now. Some water as well. That sounds horrid. Hello, hello. Hey. How are you doing? You okay? I am good. I gotta apologize. So I was at a barbecue and then I suddenly realized the time and I was like, ah, oh, guys, I gotta get home. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope you drove at a national speed limit. <laughs> Obviously, but literally just jumped in the car and got home now. Um, and then I couldn't remember if we were doing this like by Zoom or Instagram. And I'm not the best with Instagram, but I'm actually pretty impressed that I've managed to figure this out. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I took ages to figure it out. I've missed a couple where I, I couldn't work out. I'm rubbish with technology. If it was Zoom, I probably would still be trying to find the link. So you're, you're <laughs> just as good as me. So um, I was introducing you briefly um, whilst you whilst you were logging on, um, but I think it would be good to hear from you sort of what your sort of career background is and what you now do in property and where you're, where you're sort of hoping to take it and what your journey's been like. Yeah, so I guess mine is pretty um, uncommon. So I actually started off uh, when I started working in banking. So finished my degree, um, studied science actually, so studied physics. Um, mm. and wanted to like keep studying and then my mum was sort of like, stop racking up a job. Um, and so literally I was like okay I need a job that pays money because I've got lots of debt um, so I went into banking uh, joined a company called Morgan Stanley so I was working in IBD M&A um, and that was before the financial crisis so that was like pre-2008 when things were still pretty good um, okay. we worked really hard uh, but we had a lot of fun and partied hard as well so it's actually really good times um, then financial crisis happened like life changed overnight and i was sort of like yeah this this is just not the place to be um because we kind of like turning up for work every day and nothing was happening so i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do with myself so i said let, let me just take some time out go back to study mm -hmm. so i went to do an mba so i went to london business school um did their two-year mba program which was literally the best time of my life um i kind of felt like i didn't do undergrad right i was I was one of those people that was a little bit geeky, probably studied a bit too much. Mm. Um, so when I went to do my MBA, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it right this time. You embraced <laughs> so, it. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a really good time. It was kind of like, um, you know, going back to undergrad, but being a bit older and having more money so you can do more things. Um, so did that for two years. That was kind of the point where I realized that I wanted to, at some point, work for myself. Um, up until that point, I'd always sort of thought like, you know, success means to work for somebody else, but like work your way up in a bank or whatever career you're in. And I hadn't really considered anything outside of that until I got to the MBA. But it was really there that it kind of like opened up my mindset to just the possibilities that are out there. And like, you actually can start businesses for yourself. You can make money in other ways, like 
I kind of feel that, you know, you go to school is drummed into us, study, 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 learn, 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 go to uni, get a job. But actually, like, the world is changing and there's so many different things that you can do out there. Um, and that was the first sort of point where I thought, well, maybe that sort of traditional part isn't necessarily the right one for me or maybe it's not the only one. But I still didn't, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, there wasn't anything that I was particularly passionate about. Um, so I went back into banking, but I went, I went to do something slightly different. So I joined Goldman Sachs um, mm -hmm. as an ultra high net wealth advisor. So essentially what I was doing was um, finding clients and managing the money of literally the wealthiest people in the country. Um, and we focused on ultra high net worth individuals. So that's people who have at least sort of 50, 50 million plus. So mm -hmm. when I say like wealthy, I mean literally the wealthiest people you can think of the ones who have private jets and islands and all these kinds of things um and you'd be surprised there are lots of them that you actually don't know are wealthy you'd walk you'd walk past them on the street and you'd have no idea um did, I think, as, as a quick question how did dealing with all the exposure to such individuals how did that affect like your your mindset and motivation was it because sometimes i think when something is like so you know stratospheric it can almost, some people can find it demotivating because it's like, how would I ever get there? Or some people, it can be the driver. What was that like for you? Yeah, so no one's asked that question, actually. And I say it's a bit of both. So initially when I joined, I was just like, whoa, oh my gosh, like there is a whole different world out here. It's like, a whole I, new world. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought I knew like the world that I lived in, but there's a whole different world that, I had no idea that existed that I would never have come across. Um, and that was really fascinating because it's literally just like a different world. Um, and so to start to get exposure to that, to meet different people in that world, to see how they lived, it's like, damn, like, you know, there, there are levels and there are levels. Yeah. Um, so it was inspiring because I think for me, it kind of showed me what is achievable and the interesting thing is a lot of my clients the ones that i manage personally were what i call new money mm -hmm. so they weren't born into wealth they were people who yeah. most of the time started businesses probably tech businesses or something and built their own wealth so i could actually relate to that because yeah before they made their money they were just ordinary like one of my favorite clients um she you know used to be on benefits just completely different life but managed mm -hmm. to build a really successful business so i could connect to her and relate to her because of who she used to be but where, equally where she came from you'd seen the or you knew of the journey as opposed exactly. to just the money exactly and the interesting thing about wealth management i think is for a lot of people in the industry you end up working with clients that you have some kind of connection with um mm -hmm. and it when i look back it is those people who are new money that I connected with. So it wasn't sort of like people born into money or things like that. And when I think about it, I'm like, that kind of makes sense because you need to have things in common with people to be able to connect. Um, but one thing that it really did push me towards was the entrepreneurship. What I realized was all of these people built their wealth themselves. They didn't get handouts. They didn't, you know, yes, a lot of luck comes into it, but they built their businesses. And it was sort of like, there were quite a few different moments where I kind of realized that, right, hold on a second. I'm sitting here at my desk, busting my ass every single day. Yes, I earn good money, but I'm never going to earn anywhere near the type of money that, you know, my clients have. 
and then I realized that the ceiling of where I was was actually capped and then I thought actually you know the world is so big there are so many other things I could do like it just kind of left that door open for me um and I started investing in property when I was working at Goldman but as a hobby yeah kind of like a hobby because I think yeah what one thing you touched on there that I think sometimes when we have these conversations and to kind of always kind of tie it back into property and the most common question is how do people get started and there's a really um, common thing that people say which is you know build your network and you know your network is your net worth however I think the thing that you mentioned that's good is that although you were um, you know networking effectively with these really high net worth individuals it wasn't necessarily okay let me attach myself to the money it was like let me hear about the journey of how you got there because no one's just going to drag you along and be like, oh, yeah, I made it. You can come with me. But hearing like the possibilities and the potential of how to build wealth and whether, you know, at what level of wealth that is, um, you know, whether that's going from earning 20,000 a, um, a year to 100,000 or, you know, going from something to generational wealth. I think it's the how rather than the who that's often a lot more important. 100%. 100%. It's absolutely the how. And I'd say more important or, or go, uh, going a bit deeper into the how is just about the strategy, the execution and how you do it. One thing that I realized is to some extent it's about the person, but that's not the most important thing. The idea doesn't really matter. I've seen people with terrible ideas do really well. Yeah. Um, it's about how you execute and your strategy. And what I find is, is usually the people who are quite determined, who who are relentless, who don't like give up. You kind of get knocked down, you dust yourself off, you get back up again and you keep going. Like those are the sorts of personalities and mindsets that tend to make it. And I see that generally like across the board. Um, something else that I realized is that nobody has life easy even wealthy people with lots of money everyone has issues um you know you have money you just have different issues but everyone has them so it's about like understanding your situation taking the bits that you can that work for you and then running with those um Mm. and trying to turn those into something positive so like i i meet people sometimes who sort of say oh i don't come from so-and-so background or i don't have any money or you know so i'm never going to be able to achieve certain things i'm like actually that's not what it's about it's about the mindset you need to have the drive the determination and you just got to keep going at it and keep on and on and on and eventually you'll get that breakthrough the way that i describe it actually is i say you you need to be lucky right um you need to have that element of luck and then some people say well i'm just not lucky i don't believe that i think everyone is lucky everyone has opportunities of luck the difference between those people who are able to you know um i guess jump on that moment of luckiness is that they are there in the moment they're there to you know that piece of luck when it shows up and they're able to act on it so what i say to people is you've got to be there every day showing up so that when your turn arrives when it's your lucky moment you're able to kind of jump on it I think most people just miss their moments, um, but you've got to be out there every day so that when it's your turn, you're ready. No, I think that's I think that's really good advice, and it kind of even answers one of the first questions. I don't know if you're at this point, but what's the best way to get started? And I think the best way to get started is to start. <laughs> like you can't sit there waiting for things to just materialize around you 
or that somebody's lads that said, oh, it's going to drag you along with them. You, you have to get started, go out there and do things. You have to be willing to take knockbacks. You have to be willing um, to have sort of doors slammed in your face, have hey no's, but not just see the no, but take something to turn that no into a yes on your next opportunity. So long as you can learn from like whatever happens to you. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm pretty good at now is, uh, is rejection. So at Goldman Wealth Management, you know, you, I would, my aim was to go out there and find new clients. So, you know, I go out and say to people, Hey, you know, this is who we are. This is what I do. Do you want, you know, do you want to come work with us? And so many times I got told no, the first couple of times I take it personally and I was like, ouch, that actually hurts. Um, and then I'm like, oh gosh, like, I don't want to ask anyone else anymore. And then I say, actually, sod this. Like, this is part of the job. It's not yeah. me. I'm not taking it personally. And you just go out there again and again. And it's a bit similar in now with property and like looking for sites and stuff. Do you know how many countless sites and things and DD I do? And then they just never work out. And it's just rejection after rejection. It's right for you. It, it could easily get you yeah. doing a load of a load of due diligence because yeah. what I've realised is my guests all love an acronym. I think you've already thrown in about five just just in normal <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so yeah, the due diligence on the site is just looking, you know, yeah, like you said, just looking at stuff, doing all the numbers, working it will work out perfectly, and then somebody just gives you a, a number. They go, like, well, "That's ridiculous." That just thrown all of my my time out of the window. However, yeah. it's going through the process and effectively having those dry runs. It's like practicing for a driving test or a theory test, for example. The more times you do it, either in practice, when you actually, like you said, get your opportunity, you you know, you ace it 50 out of 50 when it comes up because you've, you've done the process so many times. Yep. And I think one thing that I'd say that I'm learning recently, actually, I started um, working with an executive coach, something that I you know people have been telling me to do for ages and I was like yeah whatever I don't need one of those but I was like let me give it a go and actually it's going quite well so what it, what I think is really important is you have to enjoy the journey right so all the ups all the downs it doesn't matter if you're not quite where you want to be right now you have to enjoy the journey because that's the bit that's life if you're just focused on the successes or the end goals or when I get my money or when I get my house or when I get my whatever you completely miss all of the good bits on the way. And what actually starts to happen is when you start to achieve your goals, you tend to not feel fulfilled. Um, and I think that was starting to happen to me. So I would sort of set my goals. I knew that, you know, when I was um, younger, I always said, oh, I want to work for an investment bank. And then I kind of said, oh, then I want to earn a certain amount of money. And then I want to do this. And I would always set myself targets. And I kept meeting them. But every time I got there, I was like, okay, what's next? What's next? And I didn't even really appreciate what I had achieved or what I had done. And then at some point, you know, someone I was having a chat with a friend and she's like, look, I should like, you've done a lot. You've achieved so much. And I'm like, well, I don't, doesn't feel like it. And then I realized that I was just so focused on the goals that I wasn't appreciating the journey along the way. You you didn't get to celebrate the wins at every point. It was like you just you had the milestone and just looked up and said, "Okay, there's so much further to go." And we had the same conversation with um, Alfred that was on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about what he's done over the last um, two years, and it was some amazing stuff. But all, all his focus was on what he wants to do in the future, which is great, but. I think, um, yeah, I, I saw a tweet saying, you know, that because of the way we are at the moment, everybody's so goal-driven and your successes are so out there and 
almost the accountability is very good in some ways because it creates drive but in the other ways we could end up being like almost the most depressed generation because all everybody's ever thinking about is where they're trying to get to rather than sort of smelling the roses comparing (laughs) themselves to everybody else and i'm not getting there fast enough or look at my life compared to this and as i said it's only like in the last couple of months that i'm actually actively working on it and trying to sort of change how i think about some things just because i realize that there are other things that are also equally as important don't get me wrong i am a very driven person like i i always have been and i always will be and yeah i still have that sort of like target in my head of like how wealthy i want to be and i'm still working towards reaching that but there are so many other things that are also important that I'm now starting to focus more on. So I used to be that sort of workaholic person, you know, okay, I, w- I don't get up early. I'm not a morning person, but I work really late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I don't, I don't do early mornings. Like never have. Like, you're, not, you're not joining 5am club for the morning runs. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. I remember when I was actually thinking of what jobs to do in banking, I initially thought about being a trader and then I realized they had to be at their desk at six. I was like, yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. That was literally um, why I think the mornings was why I left my job as well. I said, this isn't for me. I don't like this. <laughs> No, I, I've never been able to do it. Even just going to school. I mean, the school started at nine and I remember like running down the road to not be late so I wouldn't get detention. Like, no, I've never been a morning person. And that's the other thing that I'd say, actually, stick to your strengths. Like, you know what you're good at and what you can do. Absolutely, you kind of got to push yourself and, you know, step outside your comfort zone at some point as well. But if you know that you're a certain type of person, so for me, not a morning person, I'm not going to put myself in a position where people are going to be relying on me to be there early in the morning because I'm going to let myself down and I'm going to let them down. Um, So for me, it was about finding something I was passionate about. Um, I liked finance, but I wasn't passionate about it. And I knew I wasn't passionate about it because to get up in the mornings, I had to hit the snooze button at least five times. Whereas <laughs> now, since I left Goldman and I've been working on property, I wake up every morning and I'm like, okay, what are we doing today? Like, okay, yeah. and then I've got my diary and I'm like, okay, I've got this meeting, that meeting. Like, I love it. Um, and I realized for me, like, that's one of the things that makes a massive difference. If you can find something to do that you genuinely like, that you're really interested in or passionate about, it really doesn't feel like work. Um, and that for me is the the best thing. So I know that A, I will never go work for someone else again. And B, that whatever I do, property is going to be in it somewhere because that's just what I love. Um, and I'm so- fortunate enough to figure it out. That's good. That's good. I mean, they say the why. I think that's a very big, if you find your why, a lot of the motivation comes along with that. So, um, so you talked about your property journey then. So you said you started buying, well, how old were you when you bought your first property? So about 10 years ago now. So I'm probably going to give my age away, but sort of like mid twenties. <laughs> okay. And was it a residential or did you go straight for an investment property? What, what no, so resi. So I am like, cautious cautious person and again i think this just stems from my like banking background like they train you to look for the problems look for the risk. so i when i first got into property dipped my toe in with buy to let and the funny thing is is that i got into it almost randomly so there was somebody that i was working with and she had been investing in property for a while um and she came into work one day and she had this really nice uh, rose gold rolex and i was like well where the hell did you get that because like I know what your salary is, uh, but she's like property in it. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? 
And then she kind of explained it to me. And then it just sort of like a little light bulb went off in my head. And I remember saying to her at the time, oh, like, can I get into this? And it's ironic because she did her best to put me off. She's like, no, you've missed it. Like, market has peaked. Don't bother. Go do think about something else. But I was already intrigued. So I basically went away and did the homework myself. Um, and as you said before, like, I just started. I was like, look, the best way is to start. I'm going to dip my toe in so that if it goes wrong, I'm not going to sort of, like, you know, kill myself. No, but, yeah, but let me kind of dip my toe in, get a feel for it, and see what it's like. So I I guess I did what I think a lot of people do when, when you start. It's sort of like, okay, right, I need to pick an area. So it's like, right, I need to pick somewhere that's not too far from me, but equally it needs to be somewhere that I can afford. And I can't afford to buy anywhere near where I live. So I started to look in um, southeast London, so mm -hmm. sort of Lewisham and those kind of areas, and eventually came across Woolwich. And then the reason I liked Woolwich was because I knew that obviously um, Crossrail was coming and it was going to get a new Crossrail station. And then it had like Docklands and other transport links anyway. And also there's a really big developer, Berkeley Homes, who were building like massive development on one side of the road. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I did, first of all, I literally just pulled up the Crossrail map and I was like, okay, well, where can I afford to uh, to buy? So crossed out the middle because that's all central London, like can't afford any of that. Yeah. And then looked at both ends and then literally just narrowed it down on where can I afford, what's easy to get to. And then I went round and started looking at some of the areas. So looked around Abbeywood, looked around Woolwich and was sort of like, right, where do I think there's going to be growth? So where do I think that money is going to be piled into? Because if money is piled into the area, then it's likely going to mean that house prices are going to appreciate. And what I noticed when I was walking around Woolwich was that, um, you know, those um, those markets, like I say where my grandma shops, but some people might yeah. not know where that means. But you know where you can buy like Caribbean or African food and you can buy like yeah. leggings for two ninety nine, like that kind of thing. So there were one of these markets there was like an Iceland um, and some other like pound shops and things like this. And then literally across the road, there was a, this massive Berkeley Homes development. And I was just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Because when all these wealthy people or these investors or whoever move into those flats, where are they going to shop? Because yeah. they're not going to be shopping in any of these shops. So what that told me is the entire other side of the street would have to change. They're going to have to start putting in like costas and waitros and all these things. And what that's going to mean is that it's going to push up the prices of surrounding um, properties. So I was like, well, those are the things that I need to start buying. So I, my very first property was a two bed, two bath um, in Woolwich. And actually what I did was... Um, there's a really interesting um, road in particular in the area whereby if you walk halfway up the road, you're in Woolwich. And when you cross literally one road, the postcode changes and you're in Plumstead. Okay. Um, and also the prices change. But you're literally, you literally just cross a road. So yeah. what I realized is if I buy on this side of the road, I'm getting much for, more for my money. And people who live here, I mean, the walk to the station is the same. So I actually bought across the road in the, the Plumstead postcode, mm -hmm. um, but it's still in Woolwich. And I just got more for my money. Um, and that was my very first investment. Um, made some mistakes. Um, bought the, the flat in cash because I thought, oh, if I'm a cash buyer, then it means they're going to put me at the front of the list. Where the seller actually had two flats for sale. I should have bought both of them with a mortgage. Um, yeah. But again, like hindsight. Really, yeah hindsight stupid things that i was doing at the time because it was the very first one and then i remember when i put in the offer 
and the agent called called me back she's like okay yeah then just agreed it's yours i hung up the phone and i said to my um to my husband it's like oh my gosh like they accepted like that was so quick they accepted straight away like i think i paid too much because i was expecting them to haggle so because yeah. they didn't haggle i was like damn i've overpaid i'm like okay i'm gonna call her back and tell her that i've changed my mind and i was just second guessing myself like doubting everything thinking i've made a mistake that was too easy um and then i kind of just said you know what sod it let me just go with it and and see what happens but i felt nervous as hell because i'm like if this goes wrong all that money <laughs> like what the hell um but with hindsight, one of the best investments I have made, I, I mean, I still have that property today. Um, in fact, the tenant who is in it, like I say this, it's actually a little bit bad, but I forgot that he was there the other day. <laughs> um, he's such a great tenant that yes. he doesn't... Like if you don't know the best tenants, you just know, you know, you know right. the headache tenants. <laughs> exactly. Like, he's amazing. Like, even the washing machine broke. And I went around just to do like a spot check. And he was like, oh, by the way, the washing machine broke, but I just bought another one. And I was like, oh okay i would have done that for you he's like yeah yeah but like we needed to wash our clothes and i just couldn't be bothered to wait um and then it's funny because i was saying to my friend like i actually forgot the guy existed but yeah he's one of my best tenants (laughs) um never had any issues or anything with him but then bought more properties in woolwich and yeah that was the beginning of my property journey somebody asked you don't mind sharing how much was the purchase price of that property do you remember? Yeah, that was... I think it was around, like, 215 Okay. Um, was... no, maybe, no, actually, no. No, it was a bit less. Maybe, it's like, low, low 200,000, because the next one I bought was around 215 because I ended up buying several of them in that block. Um, yeah. And I think um, that that's interesting, because it, it's something we've spoken about in the past that is... You know, these, whether it's Barrett Homes or Berkeley Homes or these massive homeowners, they have whole teams just dedicated to work out where areas are going to go. So a lot of the time, if you don't have that money or that team or that time at your disposal, just the quote unquote following the money can be a really good way to create your strategies. Um, 100%. Um, I, yeah, I do two things. I follow transport links. Sorry, my camera's been very around there. I follow transport links, infrastructure, and I follow the money. If there is yeah. a big company or a local government or somebody pumping money into an area, um, they're pumping it in for a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Because there's, you know, that these big companies that, you know, have been making money year on year for the last couple of decades. There's a reason why they have the strategies they do. And also, yeah. even if, you know, some people look at it that, oh, there's going to be oversupply. But when you've got like a Berkeley Homes that's building 2,000 units, but their prices are starting at 450000 it's naturally, like you said, going to increase the value of the properties around it because yours now looks way more desirable. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, give me one second. No problem. No problem. Um, but yeah, just to reset. So we've got um, Aisha today talking about her journey in property. So thus far... Sorry. Just, just resetting quickly. It's all right. So just saying, thus far, you've, talk, you've sort of spoken us through um, your journey in the corporate world when you first started buying property. Um, so have you stuck with that area predominantly? Um, so I went to Woolwich first and then was doing yeah. like that kind of area and then went to Birmingham because what started okay. to happen was that things, I found that, I started to get priced out of what I could afford um, mm-hmm. in 
and around London. And then I found that the yields in Birmingham were just much better, uh, as well as there being like appreciation from, um, you know, capital appreciation as well. So I just felt that I was getting more bang for my buck by investing in, um, in Birmingham. So now I'd say that slightly more than half of my portfolio is Birmingham based. And that's, that wasn't my intention at all. Like, before I started investing in property, I'd never even been to Birmingham. Like, if I left London, I left the UK. Um, but it's since I got into property that I've actually started to, like, look around other cities and other other towns. Yeah. So would you, would you, is your focus, because obviously talking about, like, you know, following the money, would you say your focus has been primarily capital appreciation based as opposed to yield based? Both. I would say that, in the beginning, it was about income because I wanted to be able to replace my salary. So I needed to be able to have money coming in so that I didn't need to work somewhere else. So in the very beginning, it was about income. And I kind of set myself a target. I said, I'm not leaving Goldman until I match my salary. And then okay. something really funny happened. Then I matched my salary and I stayed at my job. And then my husband said to me, it's like, I thought you said you were going to resign and leave when you match your salary. And I'm like, yeah, but now I got double money and I can buy twice as much. <laughs> um, so I stayed for a little bit longer, but then I realized that the beauty of being able to generate income from property wasn't just to have money for the sake of having money. It's to allow you to have freedom and choices to do the things that you want to do. And as I said, like finance wasn't my passion. So there was no point in me staying. So that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. Um, and, you know, focus on, on property full time. And then once I had generated the income, then I was like, okay, right now, I'm going to keep doing that because I need the income, obviously, but I need to start thinking about other strategies and thinking longer term as well. It's a. Have capital that I can leave for for my children. Um, you know, I need to start thinking about like pensions. That's something that people generally don't tend to really think about. Um, I have no idea. Like, I knew I had a corporate pension. I don't know how much it's in there. I don't know where it's going to be. All I know is that when I get to retirement age, the government is not going to help me. So if I don't yeah. have money to help myself, then I'm going to be a bit screwed. So I started to think about all these things and realized that, yes, the income was important for the now, but the capital appreciation is important for the future. And I needed to make sure that my portfolio is split and diversified enough so that I have both of those. Um, so now what I do is all of the properties... In fact, last week, in fact, no, this week, we've sold one property um, that was in our portfolio. Up until that point, we have never, ever sold a property that we bought. Usually everything we buy, we keep. The only reason we sold that is because the market is crazy right now and we got an offer that was too good to refuse. Um, oh, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, I don't sell. Um, and, and those assets that we have are generating income, but also they're going up in value over time. And then what I do when I'm focusing more on the sort of capital appreciation products is I focus on um, like development. Because for me, I sort of see like renting properties, HMOs, that kind of thing that gives me my income. If I'm trying to like build a cash lump sum at some point in the future, then that tends to come from development opportunities. So I will either look to do... Initially, when I started, I, I wanted to get into development and sort of do that myself. When I left Goldman, I thought that's actually what I wanted to do. I you would know be what? Before, before we um, get on to your development or the, the, what yeah. you've done in development, I think one thing that you, you touched on, um, just in regards to being able to hold everything and 
the reason you were able to hold all of those properties and build that income was because you had the nine to five um, or whatever it was at Goldman. I'm sure it wasn't a nine to five at Goldman. Um, Exactly. However, the nine to five or the eight to eight, but you know, a job is what allowed you to do that. Like, so myself, I didn't have that, which meant that a lot of the properties I first bought that I wish I still owned, I had to sell to be able to, you know, increase that um, working capital pot to be able to go and do bigger and better projects and developments, etc. Um, and I think for a lot of people that are currently in a nine to five, and again, spoke about the kind of whole Instagram or social media culture, there's a lot of sort of negative stigmas that are attached to having a job. But there are so many things that if leveraged correctly, it can allow you to do. So the fact that you had your nine to five that was bringing in a certain amount of money, you were then able to match that through, you know, investments or, you know, some sort of personal venture outside that is what allowed you to actually hold and build a long-term portfolio. So I think for those um, that, you know, are in a nine to five um, and maybe don't love it at the moment, you know, not to say don't do something you don't love, but that it's not always very short term. Like look at your longer term goals, what you're trying to achieve and how you could potentially leverage what you're currently doing to achieve what you want in the future so i think that's a really important point that we don't we don't touch on enough 100 percent, and i'll echo that right like you got to do what works for you okay so some people will be able to hold down a job and make it work for them um as long as it needs to i'd say for those people you do have to get it right though don't just be in your job for the sake of being in your job and every day like just getting up and working but you know you hate it it's not really taking you anywhere but you don't have a plan like i know a few people like that and it's not nice you you, you gotta try you have to have an end goal right otherwise what's the point then you're just you're in the rat race and you're trapped and you can't get out so mm-hmm. you've got to try and figure out what is your strategy how is this job taking me to where i want to be is it that, okay, it's going to allow me to start saving up some money so I need to do something? Then make sure every month you are saving that money and you're not spending it on whatever. Like, you have to make sure you have a plan and stick to it. For those people who don't have a job or don't want to, you can still get into property and make it work for you. You know, you can source deals, sell them on, or you can, you know, find investors, do a property, sell that, and then use that money to do the next one. It's, it's a bit of a longer process versus if you have money straight away, but that's the whole beauty of property. You find what works for you. So I, it wasn't as if I kind of said, right, let me go into banking first and then go into property later. I happened across property, but it was absolutely the banking salary and money that I'd managed to save up that gave me the springboard um, to get going. And also I combined it with my husband's money as well. So it wasn't just my own. So it was both of us pulled the cash that we had together. Um, You know, initially my husband was actually a bit skeptical about the whole property thing, but when he looked at it properly and he saw it, like we were both in and we've been fully in like since day one. So when did you do, did you, have you, so have you done developments? I'm not actually sure about that. Yeah, yeah. So our journey was buy selects. Then they were working well. And then I was like, all right, how can I maximize this? I want more. And then I'm like, just going and buying it. I can't, I'm almost about to swear. Going and buying a ton of more um, buy to lets. I'm like, well, that's not useful. And then I was like, oh, HMOs are good because I still buy, you know, one property, but I can maximize it more because I'm putting more people in there. So then I moved into HMOs and then they were going well. And then I said again, all right, I want more. What can I do? And then I started to look at developments. Um, And I got into developments by doing some JVs with different people. 
Um, yeah, that's those are a story for another time. Um, right, I was just about to go ask how you how your first development. What was your first development deal like? Yeah, so the first one was quite small actually. So it was a house to to flat conversion. That that one went okay. It took a lot longer than expected. So in terms of like the returns, the actual absolute returns were decent, but the length of time. So. Um, you know, if I factor in the time frame, then it wasn't such a great thing because the issue we had is in the property, we only had a share of the freehold. So we had to get the people downstairs to agree. That didn't go to plan at all. It dragged on forever. Eventually we got it done. Um, but it taught me a lot and I learned a lot. The so what was that exactly? It was a, it was a what yeah. to what? So it was, so we purchased the, it was a house. Uh, so mm -hmm. there was a, couple on the ground floor who had the ground floor flat we purchased the top with the loft and then we converted the loft into another flat and renovated uh the okay. one that we bought as well um but in order to be able to do the loft you had to get freeholder consent and downstairs had to give permission as well and we thought they were lovely because we'd met them before and when they realized what we were doing and what money that we were making they got greedy and yeah it, it kind of dragged the whole thing out but it was successful in that we got it done. The flats were finished beautifully. We got them sold. Um, we made a profit. So I haven't, you know, touched wood, haven't lost any money yet in property. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. Like if I had sort of planned out how I wanted everything to go, that wasn't the way that I would have wanted it to go. But it was kind of the very first one. And after that, I was like, right, I kind of want to step it up again. So then the next one was a commercial conversion. Uh, turning an office into nine flats. JV again, or yeah. So okay. slight, slightly different. So JV, yes, because it was working with a partner, but definitely like very involved and hands on in this one. Um, so all of the funding was was mine. Um, mm -hmm. And if I'm putting 100 percent of the money into something, then it's you know, or yeah, if, if I'm responsible for for 100 percent of the money, then like I'm I'm all over it. So I was there from day one like when they would architects were in like absolutely everything i was involved in i was on site particularly in the beginning at least once a week um and that one was interesting um <laughs> for lots of reasons fun, well, interesting is always a fun word because yeah <laughs> it's um, a polite it's a polite word <laughs> <laughs> yeah so again i think one thing that i say to people is that if you're going to do jvs you've got to remember that the people that you're going to be working with, like they're kind of like business marriages. So you got to really make sure that you know who you're getting into bed with. Right. Um, and I thought I had done all my homework and done all the DD and, you know, looked the person up and got references and referrals. And yes, I heard some slightly not great things, but I thought I could cope with those. And with hindsight, I don't know, I probably would have still done it again, but it just means now when I look to my future projects, I know that there I have stricter criteria or there are certain other things that I want to do. So like the projects that I look for now to like, um, what I do is I generally tend to look and find them myself. I will if bring on the JV partner then and I'll say, look, here is my site. This is what I found. I'm going to put the money in. But given what I do now day to day, I don't have the time to oversee all of the projects because I have some other property businesses that I'll talk about, but they basically take up a lot of my time today. So in terms of actual development, I don't have time like I used to, 
to really be on top of it, you know, to be going to site, to be checking that everything's happening. Um, but I still want to do developments. I still want to put my money into that. It just means that the people that I work with, I need to be able to trust. So, uh, Kazi, you and I can have a conversation like at some point <laughs> offline. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point we'll find, we'll find some time to do. Because I'm a bit. I'm. I'm funny like about JVs. Like I've, I've done a couple and they've they've gone well, relatively well. But mine have been similar. To, I've had a lot of like I've had a lot of control effectively. Mm-hmm. Similar situation. People have potentially brought some of the money in, but have re- retained a lot of control. And I think I just know that because I've, I'm quite anal in the way I control things. I, I like things done in a certain way, and I've yep. I've made things work doing them the way I like. So okay. it's if you know you know sometimes when you have to kind of give an element of that up. I always like to yep. make my own mistakes rather than make somebody else make them for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. I think now at this stage. Um, I'm, I'm up for potential conversations around JVs. I think, like you said, it is when you're doing you know business with somebody, it does become like a business marriage. You do have to be able to actually get on with people. You have to be able to have conversation, have disputes, and move past them because you're not going to agree Absolutely. on everything. But they have to be productive yep. conversations. I think yep. <laughs> businesses are always great when sorry JVs joint venture again. I'm getting I'm, you're, you're sucking me into the acronyms now. <laughs> um, there's a joint venture effectively what that means is um it's when you're doing a deal with somebody else um that is you know is, is with another entity um yeah so you've just got loads of joint ventures thrown in the conversation so alfred you're here today i like alfred's my number one fan now because he came on once <laughs> here every week um so yeah no we'll definitely have a conversation but i would say for anybody who's potentially looking to do them um you know just make sure you do your due diligence make sure you can actually work with somebody a lot of the time, if there's three of you, it can be amazing because you don't reach an impasse where it's like, I want to do this, I want to do that. Yep. There's always two against one, which means if you have that as almost part of your founder's agreement, like collective majority, then it can mean that you can make decisions decisions a bit quicker. Yeah, I think you just have to decide like how you're going to resolve any resolution, any like issues or disputes up front and how you're going to reach the resolutions. So I'd say that yeah, you need to have these sort of conversations uh, up front. And I have never had a property project go smoothly. Something always goes wrong, always, or is delayed, or something always happens. So there are going to be moments where it's going to get a bit tense or there's going to need to be a discussion. So you need to make sure that the person that you've brought in to be your partner, that the two of you can get on well enough to to, to solve it. Um, and that's definitely something that... I focus a lot on now because as I said, I don't have the time to run my projects anymore, but I love the build and I want to put my money to work and I want to keep doing more. But the only way for me to do it now is because, um, is is by working with other people because I'm so focused on black property network, um, and propel. That's good. We've got a question actually from, uh, Marty says, uh, when using OPM, which is other people's money, how do you decide between um, loan share versus sort of shares with um, investor financing? Yeah, so most of the time, I would try to use my own money, and mm-hmm. that's just because I, I had it. But then when I run out of my own money, the way that I work with using other people's money is I do it as equity um, because 
it's more expensive than debt in that you end up giving or you offer people a higher return but they also share in the downside so let's say for example i'm taking money from people and i'm taking it as equity and let's say i offer them a 20% per annum return or expected it's expected so they don't know what they're going to get that's what they're expecting at the end if for example the project does even better then they can get more but if the project does worse then they're going to get less whereas yeah. if i were to do it by a loan the return that i offer people generally tends to be fixed so if the project goes badly you still have to find the money to pay those people back so i personally prefer to do it as equity because it just means that we share in the risk and reward together i see that as kind of like a true partnership but i know that a lot of people do it differently to me and they do it through loans and the reason that i'm able to do it through equity is because i um i co-own a property crowdfunding platform so we have the fca authorizations to be able to take money from lots of different people um and put it together to be able to invest in certain deals now i haven't actually done it in any deals of my own yet the only money that we've raised in this way using the crowdfunding platform has been for other developers so that's one of the things i do as well helping to raise funding for other developers but you know it's definitely an option of mine in the future to be able to use the same uh licensing to be able to put money together for any projects that that i want to do and usually what happens is say i find a site i'll put most of the money in myself but maybe a couple of my friends will see what i'm doing and be like oh please let me in um and then if i let them put their money in as well then we'd have to do it through the crowdfunding platform because everybody be getting equity and then that way we're classified as a collective investment scheme and we have to be regulated I think that's I think that's really interesting and something I def oh, we've obviously been speaking about in general but I think it's a really interesting space just because you know the two things firstly that obviously you you chose your route of how you fund your deals based on what you have at the table so if you have the finance you have a you have more of a choice to say this is the way I want to structure it and just to touch on what you mentioned um but to Marky it's a case of you know looking at what your available resources are because there's no sort of right or wrong answer for that question. It depends what you want to do, what your attitude towards risk is, um, you know, what the numbers are in the deal, if it's straightforward, if there's planning gain, because, you know, if you're offering somebody a fixed return on a yearly basis and your deal takes twice as long, you know, you're going to really, your finance costs are going to shoot up versus, you know, potentially if it was equities. I think it's just a case of looking at what's, what's best for you. Um, and then we've had some well, what happens questions. if you take money for a planning game deal and then you don't get planning what do you do exactly so you know you just you need to look at what in any instance you know what your risk are what your and that's why i tend to like you know stuff that has when i when i'm looking at sites i like stuff that you know has at least an option a plan b if not plan c as well so you know you've got okay worst case we don't get planning we'll refurb and we might you know break even we could potentially get four units if it goes really well and they let us develop you know the loft space or the basement space as well we could end up with four to seven so you have different steps and at that point an investor can decide you know are from equity is it worth the risk as well and then they're tied into the risk um, so it just depends on what your attitude towards risk is i guess and also depends on the investors as well like there are some investors who like equity some like debt some want a mix of two because it gives them different risk profiles so it really yes. just depends on your risk tolerance and and what suits you exactly exactly that um 
I think as well, in regards to the crowdfunding thing, the good the good part about that is that I like and one thing that I've kind of been champion is making property investment more accessible. Um, because there are, you know, hopefully a lot of us here have achieved some amazing returns in the property space. However, you know, one of the main barriers to entry is the capital requirement. So if, you know, through like crowdfunding options, you have an option to buy percentages of a deal effectively um, that would kind of allow for like the trading 212 model where you can buy percentages of a share rather than having to buy a whole share. It makes it a lot more accessible and a lot of people have the potential then to earn money from property at an earlier stage. So whether it's at your nine to five and you're investing your disposable income in property, you can do it at sort of day one of your journey rather than year five. And that kind of ties into what you were saying before at the beginning about people just dipping their toe in and starting. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have much money to dip my toe in and start. But, you know, with crowdfunding, you can start with a hundred with a hundred pounds. So at Leo crowdfunding, that's our minimum uh, for most of our projects is a hundred pounds. Um, and the, what I say to people is, you know, start at whatever level you can afford get into the project, learn about it. You get access to all the documents, you get access to the developer, ask the questions, follow the webinars, like really get to understand it. Because A, then you'll be able to decide if it's for you. B, you'll be able to get more comfortable. So maybe next time you want to do something, you know, invest a bit more. And then C, maybe at some point you actually say, do you know what, rather than just being the investor in these types of deals, I want to actually go out there and like do one of my own. Um, it's a great way to to get started. And for me now, it's just a great way to, to invest my money and get deals done because it's really easy. You kind yeah. of just, you, you do your account, you log in, you invest your money. And now, you know, I invest through the platform as well. And I can invest in a deal in Leicester, in Liverpool, in, I think there's even one that we're looking at in Scotland. Like when would I have the time to go find a deal up there? And do I just wouldn't. So because the platform kind of brings everything literally to my computer, I can do all the diligence and make all the decisions and then invest with as little or as much as I want. And it's still giving me um, that diversification um, that I need. So another thing that people often ask me is like, you know, where do you invest? Like, where do I invest my money? I say 90% of my money is in property. Um, I also love investing in startups. So that's something that I do quite actively as well. So I try to make between sort of five and 10 investments in startups each year. Um, so my wealth is quite concentrated between those two things, but I diversify within them. So within property, I'm not just going to have all my money in Bytelets in London, for example. It's split between different regions. It's split across different strategies. As I said, I work with different partners, so I'm taking different developer risk. It's really important that you get that diversification. Um, and, you know, I take those kind of principles away from my banking days. Back then, I would advise my clients to diversify and they would invest across different asset classes. That is not right for me right now because I'm in what I call um, wealth creation mode. So when you're in wealth creation mode, you do have to concentrate your risk at a certain point because when you 
when you take risk, you get rewarded with a return. So generally speaking, the more concentrated your risk, the higher your return. So because I'm trying to build wealth, I need to seek higher returns, but it means that I need to take concentrated risks that I'm comfortable with. So yes, I am heavily overweight property, but I diversify within property. Okay. And then remember I said before that I had that number in my head of how much wealth I'm trying to build. When I get there, I will change my strategy. Then I will start investing in equities yeah. and diversifying and breaking up the bucket because at that point I'm trying to preserve my wealth the issue that I found with like the whole like investment management finance sector is they kind of like and this goes contrary to what most advisors will tell you but it's, it's generally what I believe they push you and they tell you diversify and invest a little bit over here and invest a little bit over there and blah 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 but that doesn't get you wealthy that doesn't build your money fast enough um, that's a great way to beat inflation and to keep what you have, but it doesn't build it. So yeah. for me, property is that asset that builds my wealth. And once I've got to that point that I'm, you know, that's the amount for me, then I will take it and try and keep it and beat inflation and try to, you know, aim for yeah. 5%. But otherwise, how the hell is 5% or something like that going to help you? No, I think that's, I think that's amazing. I think the way, the way you summed up there is very good. It's been very timely as well because we're literally pushing on to the hours. I want to make sure we get this done before um, seven, which means that we can save it. Everyone can log back in um, and they can watch this again for those that have missed it. Um, so just lastly, I'd like to find out, I know we're having some conversations. Hopefully we can do something in regards to um, crowdfunding space and I can get a deal on there quite soon um but how can people find leo crowdfunding where, where are you guys and is there yes. anything coming up that people can get involved in got a minute <laughs> so, yeah okay i do a couple of different things so if you're interested in crowdfunding it's leo crowdfunding l-e-o stands for mm -hmm. learn and own so you can just go to the website really easy to register i also run black property network we help anyone from the black community in the uk who wants to get going in property so you can check us out there that's just blackpropertynetwork.com and then i also run something that's focused on women and getting them investing in property again through crowdfunding and that's called propel network so any of those three you can contact me hence why you see why i'm so busy because i'm running those three things i don't have time to be on site anymore which is why i need awesome jv partners um but yeah please do reach out if you have any other questions or if there's anything that you want to know yeah. no, this has been an amazing episode thank you for leaving your your party to come and join us and talk for us you, through Andy, your journey you're very welcome much, much appreciated <laughs> um yes this has been another episode of ask someone else um yeah you've been incredible thank you for coming on um if you're not already subscribed to my youtube go and check that out we've got an episode of the day in the life coming out today um also with ceo cast got an interview with them coming out we'll have another episode each and every week so sunday make sure you subscribe subscribe to myself make sure you're subscribed to aisha because if you haven't been able to pick up the links to any of the things that you're interested in you'll be able to log in there and get in touch with her directly. Um, network, she's got loads of great content on her page as well, so make sure you are following. And much appreciated, everybody, for logging in. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. All right, then. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, everyone. Take care. Come on, England. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Bye.